Lots of people say they remember the frightening moment when the Protect and Survive booklet dropped through their letterbox in the 1980s. But this is surely a false memory, unless they had some really cruel neighbours up for hijinks, because the government never released it to households. It was intended to be printed in its millions and, yes, sent out to each person's door, but only if war was imminent. We, of course, never reached that stage of emergency, and so it was never posted through the letterbox. Last week, however, another government public information booklet came through the door. This one, of course, about coronavirus, and urging the same message as Protect and Survive, which is stay at home. And, just like its nuclear predecessor, it has been ridiculed. Although in our days of whiny, outraged social media, some people will complain about anything. Even a winning lottery ticket and a big bar of dairy milk being delivered to the door. Complaints about the coronavirus booklet have ranged from the rational to the pathetic. I saw on Twitter a lot of people moaning about... Boris Johnson wasting paper and adding junk mail to the loads that the poor postmen have to carry. And to that I say, shut up. If we're still getting Domino's leaflets through Royal Mail, then I have no objection to a public information leaflet. So in this episode we'll compare the reception of both booklets, Protect and Survive, and the current one which was sent through the door, Coronavirus, Stay at Home, Protect the NHS, Save Lives. And we'll look at the advice they contained, the central message of of both being stay at home. In the early 1980s, as the Cold War started to once again get very chilly and frightening, a clamour arose in the British media with people demanding to know why the government weren't releasing guidance to the public on how to protect themselves if nuclear war came. It became known that there was a government booklet on that very topic, but it wasn't being shared with us. And so, I suppose naturally, many began to suspect the government of withholding it or keeping it secret. Actually, the truth is far more boring. (laughs) The booklet was never secret. It was freely available to politicians, uh, fire and police bosses, and anyone who attended courses at the Civil Defence College. And there was a very sensible, plain reason why it hadn't been released en masse to the public, posted through every door. And that was because it was designed to be released at a time of great international tension, when it was deemed that nuclear attack was imminent. Of course, that dreadful moment never came, and so the booklet was never sent to your door. (laughs) Simple as that. Had the government given in to pressure and sent it out to every household in the land, it would have created panic or sent a very worrying signal to a potential aggressor nation. Or it might just have been met with indifference in the public. They'd say, there's no imminent threat, so why on earth are you sending me this thing? And they'd throw it in the bin. So the timing of any release had to be right. It had to be at the very correct moment. And that moment never came. And that's why Protect and Survive didn't ever arrive on your doorstep. But really, the government of 1980 couldn't win with getting the timing of Protect and Survive right. Had they sent it out too early, as we said, there could have been panic or indifference, and then the whole project would have been wasted. But had they waited until the very correct moment, until war was imminent, then would there have been time to 
print millions of copies and have them distributed to Britain's households? The Guardian didn't think so, and they mocked them for this too. In 19th of February 1980, their columnist James Cameron ridiculed the notion that the government could wait till the last minute before sending protections arrive out to millions and millions of households. Waiting until a short while before the bomb drops, he said, of all the preposterous notions conjured up in the bureaucratic brain, this must surely be the barmiest. What are they going to do? Send messenger boys round, shoving the thing through letterboxes like minicab handouts, hoping to cover the territory in the 3.6 minutes that we are told will be our warning time before the Big Bang. At the very best, that will give us about two and a half seconds to read and digest its recommendations, fill our sandbags, tape our windows, change our underwear, send our loved ones to the Isle of Man and settle down with a large dram to await nirvana. What a load of cobblers all this is. What a con job. What an insult to the intelligence. Well, he's right, of course. If the booklet was delivered in the final four minutes before the bomb, there would be no time for anything. But the idea was to send it out in the weeks or days before a nuclear war. But whether they waited till the last minute or if they did it too soon or if they tried like Goldilocks to get it just right, there's always going to be someone criticising their timing. And the current coronavirus crisis has taught us some good lessons about getting timing right when it comes to communicating emergency info to the public. Last week, every household in Britain received a letter from the Prime Minister and a very thin accompanying booklet. The timing, of course, is right. We're in the midst of the crisis. But when it comes to the timing of the partial lockdown we're currently living under in Britain, that provoked a lot of debate, certainly. Before the partial lockdown was brought in, people were complaining that it hadn't been implemented and that the government had to act fast and get on with a lockdown. So back to Protect and Survive. While the government never caved into pressure and released it to households, they didn't ever produce it in its millions and send it out to every single door, they did allow it to go on sale to the public for 50p. But even when it was on sale, some people were still reporting it was very hard to get. One lady wrote to the Guardian on 13th of December 1980 to say it had been removed from the window of the stationery office bookshop where she'd previously spotted it. And when she went inside to inquire about its whereabouts, the shopkeeper fished it out from under the counter. The letter writer asked, Does this mean that the book has now been officially designated obscene? The risk is as great in the countryside as in the towns. Nobody can tell where the safest place will be. So you are just as safe in your own home area as anywhere else. In fact, you are far better off at home because it is the place you know and where you are known. So, stay where you are. If you leave your home, your local authority may take it over for homeless families. And if you move, the authorities in the new place will not help you with food, accommodation or other essentials. You are better off in your own home. Stay there.
Stay in your own home, the central message of Protect and Survive. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, there were several reasons for that advice. The official one, of course, is that it was for our own good. We can fortify our home, we can stock it with food and medicine, and we know the neighbours so can perhaps help one another. But opponents of the guidance said that it was simply a social control measure. The government wanted us at home, instead of out roaming the streets, clogging the roads, besieging other areas and gathering in angry, rebellious groups. If the population are separated into small family units and kept at home, then they are, in theory, under control. Of course, the coronavirus advice is the same. Lots of countries are under lockdown or a partial lockdown, and the advice is stay at home. As with Protect and Survive, they don't want us jamming the roads and fleeing to rural areas, potentially spreading the virus as we run, and putting pressure on the medical services and shops in these other areas. So for very different reasons, the advice is the same, stay at home. Here's a clip from the UK's official coronavirus advice, delivered by Chief Medical Officer Sir Chris Whitty. If you or anyone in your household has a high temperature or a new and continuous cough, even if those symptoms are mild, you should all stay at home. And at the end of the advert, we have a strong and repeated message of protection, emphasising that staying at home offers protection to the individual because they can shelter at home, and it offers protection to others because a potentially infected person is, of course, staying at home and not spreading the virus. Protect yourself. Protect others. Protect the NHS. Repeated use there of the word protect, which is, of course, a positive word. They're not saying defend and fight and guard and battle, which, of course, are words with negative connotations, making us think of wars and risk and danger. Instead, it's the softer word protect, which summons up images of something warm and loving and maternal. Apart from sharing the same stay-at-home message, both public information campaigns provoked some questions about class. Of course, that's always going to be a topic in Britain. So let's look first of all at Protect and Survive. The advice assumes you live in a house, a house which you can fortify by piling sandbags or heavy boxes of soil against the walls, and which is spacious enough inside that you can select a room away from external walls and designate that as your fallout room. There's a little nod given to those of us who live in flats or high tower blocks. They're simply told that if they live towards the top of the building, they should seek shelter in the basement of the block. Now, that wouldn't work for many. Uh, When I lived in a tower block in Mary Hill, the basement areas of our block were taken up by the communal laundry and the bent area. So you couldn't just move in and set up camp there. Here's a clip from the film. If you live in a block of flats, which is more than five floors high, it is important not to use the top two floors. The safest places are inside passages away from outside walls and windows. If the block is four floors or less, the best place for a fallout room is the basement or ground floor. If you live too high up to be safe, you must make arrangements now with your neighbours in the lower floors or make some suitable arrangements to shelter with someone close by. If you live in a one-storey house, like a bungalow or prefab, the building itself will not give you much protection. 
So the best thing is to make arrangements now to shelter with someone close by. If this is not possible, look for a space in your home which is farthest from the roof and the outside walls. So the impossible problem of how to protect all the people in Britain who live in flats and tower blocks or little vulnerable bungalows or caravans is neatly swept away by trying to make arrangements with family, friends or neighbours. They don't go into any more detail because of course they can't. You can't make the top floor of a tower block safe from nuclear attack. You can't make a little flimsy caravan or bungalow safe from nuclear attack. You can't. But the film isn't brave enough or honest enough to say that. So they just direct you towards your family or friends who they hope and assume have nice, sturdy, middle-class homes which will slot neatly into the model Protect and Survive home. There was also the question of building a nuclear shelter, although this isn't mentioned in Protect and Survive, but the advice which was issued was aimed at those with gardens. But most of the poor, I assume, don't have gardens. A garden is surely a luxury which comes with owning a home. And as for renters, if you rent, you'll need permission from your landlord if you're to start tearing the flat apart, taking the doors off the hinges to rig up an inner core of refuge. What if your landlord, as almost every landlord would surely do, says, no, you're not (laughs) taking my flat apart? So they're not obliged to let you build a shelter or assemble an inner core. The activist Pat Arrowsmith raised this issue with a letter to The Guardian in January 1981, quoting a Home Office official who said, The advice on page 9 of Protect and Survive, the one which refers to the living in a flat, does not place any duty upon landlords to arrange for the protection of such tenants. Although one would hope that at a time of crisis, everyone would be as helpful as they reasonably could. Well, I would assume with great confidence that that was written by someone who owns their own home. We've heard similar complaints recently regarding the coronavirus restrictions. Police are out patrolling parks and people are being shamed on social media for enjoying a bit too much sunshine and fresh air. Even sitting on an empty park bench is now frowned upon, as it may encourage others to sit and then you have a gathering. But what if you're otherwise penned into a small flat at the top of a miserable tower block? What if you can't afford to buy a house or even rent a house or even rent a flat? No, what if you can only afford to rent a room in a flat? What then? How do you stop yourself going mad in those cramped conditions? You do need fresh air and space, so you need to have your park and access to your park without council officials threatening to close it down. What you ideally need is a garden. Which brings us back to the issue of class, because it's surely only the homeowners who can afford the luxury of a big garden. And today, 5th of April 2020, the Health Secretary has said that All exercise outdoors could soon be banned. So both information campaigns have the central message of stay indoors. Protect and Survive claims it was for your benefit as your house is a place of safety. However, I would dispute that, of course. How safe is your house if you're in a target area? How safe is your house if the blast has left the roof open to the sky and now down comes the fallout? 
No, I would say that home is only a place of safety in storybooks. Unless it's the storybook which has the house made of gingerbread. I would argue the stay-at-home message in Protect and Survive is for the benefit of the authorities, as it was a way, of course, of keeping the frightened, starving, injured, frantic, utterly unpredictable population quite literally in their place. The stay-at-home message in the coronavirus campaign is obviously far more benevolent and sensible. Everyone can see the advantage of staying at home just now, and at least there's no question of the home being attacked or damaged or ripped open to the sky. Your home can indeed be a place of safety in this current crisis, as long as the water and electricity are uninterrupted and the chemists and supermarkets stay stocked. One obvious difference between the two campaigns, despite the stay-at-home message, is entertainment. Project and Survive as a section keeping the nippers occupied whilst you cower in your fallout room. Even though you may ridicule Protect and Survive or be scared by Protect and Survive, this section is quite heartbreaking. The idea of keeping the children occupied during the war. Well, <laughs> it's heartbreaking for me because I don't have any, so I can imagine them as cute wee buttons wanting to play snakes and ladders in the shelter whereas parents might know perfectly well how that'll go and be hyperventilating at the thought of keeping them occupied for 14 days stuck in one room. Here's what the Protect and Survive film recommends we take inside the fallout room to keep kids cheery through the Holocaust. Notebook and pencil for messages. Brushes, shovel and cleaning materials, rubber or plastic gloves. Toys for children, books and magazines to pass the time, clock and calendar. Finally, don't forget your booklet, Protect and Survive. It tells you how to make your home and family as safe as possible. All the items we've just told you about are listed in it. course there's no need for advice on how to occupy kids during the corona lockdown because they are still allowed out for an hour of exercise plus most of them I assume have houses full of games and iPads and smartphones and of course we've got the internet so I suppose they won't be too bored. You are better off in your own home. Stay there. Thanks everyone for listening and thanks to all of you who've joined my Patreon and are donating some of your hard-earned cash each month to the podcast. My latest patron is Martin Harder, so thank you Martin. And thanks also to Hallie Andrews, Chris Kirini, Louie, Sally Everett Brick, Tom Allen, Paul Jonathan Viner, Hack Green, Secret Nuclear Bunker, Gary Watson, Arika and Lucy Stegervald. If you want to join my Patreon, please take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo Remember, you can find me on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell or we're on Facebook under Nuclear Britain. If you have any questions about the podcast, of course, get in touch. And I'll be back next week with another one. Bye for now.